0: Visit us at iloveelevate.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. We are continuing our journey through Matthew, and we've seen some of Matthew's big themes, themes like Jesus came to establish the kingdom, that his kingdom is for anybody even Gentiles, even people that we might consider outsiders, the kingdom is for them too. Also, that Jesus came to break the curse of sin and death off of his people, and that everything that God spoke in the Old Testament, he has kept his promises in the New Testament. If you were to sum it all up of Matthew's purpose, of what he's trying to communicate, it would simply be this, Jesus Christ is king. And it's his people that respond with the worship tonight. All hail to our king Jesus. But what is, what is our entry point into his kingdom? What is the condition of our heart that's necessary for us to be a part of this kingdom that Jesus founded? That's the topic of tonight. That's what we're covering tonight. And I want to open with something a little bit silly, but it's real in my life, is I've got a three-year-old daughter that's adorable and sweet, and she loves me to pieces, and she has the best smile in the world, and she's sadistic and mean, and I'm like, where did you come from? Why are you the way you are? And sometimes I'll have my my two-year-old Silas... And he's crying in the other room. And I come in, and if you've ever met Silas, you know that his cry, like, rips your heart out. It's like his face turns red, (laughs) his eyes squint, and his lips flare out, and he's just brokenhearted. And Nadia is sitting by, having done something to him. She's choked him, or hit him, or bit him, or smacked him with a toy, or pushed him over, or took something from him. She's done something to physically injure Silas. And I'll come in and be like, Nadia! Your hands are for being soft. They're for being kind. You don't hurt your brother. This is wrong. Lee's here. He's hurt. He's crying. Look at the wound. You know? And Nadia will smile. She'll, she'll smile. I'm correcting her that she hurt her brother. And she's smiling at me. I'm like, Nadia, say you're sorry. And she'll go, I'm sorry. And i like, Who are you, child? And the reality is, I'm not going to let this girl go back to playing with her siblings until she stops doing what she's doing, until she shows me that she feels the weight of having hurt somebody, and that she's at least a little bit determined to not do this again. Her punishment's going to increase. My lengthy monologue to her is going to extend to try to pull out of her some sort of recognition of what she's done. Because I can't have her go play with the others. I mean, she has an infant for a little brother. She can't treat him like that. The entrance into the kingdom of heaven is the heart of repentance. How often do we look at our sin... And we're like, yeah, I know. Maybe it makes God a little upset. Maybe he doesn't like it about this. And really on the inside, we just kind of like smile. I'm sorry. But there's no weight of what we've done. That we have offended a holy God. That we have hurt someone else. The, The idea of sin in our lives, we just sort of write it off like Nadia with hurting her brother. And what we're going to look at tonight is a summary of the sermon of John the Baptist, bookending two incredible stories of Jesus, which are transitional, they're powerful, and then it's bookended by a summary of Jesus' sermon. And here, let's read it together tonight. We're looking at Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And here is the summary of a sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now let's jump past two stories that we're going to look at in a minute to Jesus. What is a summary of Jesus' sermon? Matthew four seventeen. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." It's the exact same sermon as John the Baptist, but something's different. I'm going to clue you in. Something big has happened in the baton passing between John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at this statement. Let's break it down. Repent. What does it mean to repent? It means to feel and express remorse for wrongdoing and make a deliberate redirection for the future. Let me say it differently. It means that we change our mind, our heart, and our actions by turning away from sin and self and we go towards Christ. That's all sin means. Sin means that you missed the target. The bullseye is over there and you missed it. But it does not mean that you were aiming for the bullseye and you hit the outer blue ring. It meant that you did this you weren't even aiming. That's what sin is. I have chosen to go my way towards my sin and my selfishness for what I want. And repentance is to say, I'm turning to go towards Christ because he is king of my life and I'm serving what he wants in his leadership. That's repentance. That is the heart of admission into the kingdom of heaven. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is the domain of, that is under the rulership of a, what? Of a king. The kingdom of heaven. And I love this. This is where rubber meets the road. Because this is not the kingdom of Israel, or the empire of Rome. This is the kingdom of heaven, as in plural, heavens. That it's not anchored to one small Provincial space on the map. But this is a king over the realm of not a nation, not a continent, but not even the planet. It is a kingdom of heavens, of realms that are earth plus, plus, plus. The astronomical bodies. The king of the spiritual realm of demons in hell. The king of heaven and its heavenly hosts. This is the kingdom And all the dominions beneath it are every realm that exists. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king of all realms and dominions, of over all powers, of every dimension, is at hand. What does it mean to be at hand? It does not mean the kingdom of heaven is across the room. The kingdom of heaven is coming soon. The kingdom of heaven is nearby. The kingdom of heaven is at hand means it is within our grasp. It is here. It is now. It is current. It is present. It is no longer this looking forward thing. 400 years ago, the prophets were predicting that God was going to come himself as Messiah. This is no longer a future statement. The kingdom of heaven is now. It is at hand. It is in hand. Imminent. Repent. Turn. Because the king is on the scene. The king of all creation is here. That is the sermon of John the Baptist. That is the sermon of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at the two events Where Jesus comes into the recognition of his kingship. Where he is founding the kingdom of heaven. His ministry is beginning through these two events. And those two sermons bookend these stories. John the Baptist. And then Jesus is going to pick up the baton coming into his ministry. And continue that same sermon. But with so much greater depth. And the two stories are the baptism of Jesus. And the temptation of Jesus. And there's so many layers going on here, and I'm sorry that I'm gonna have to skip so much so that we can keep a laser focus on Jesus' kingship. But they're profound. Matthew 3 14 through 17. John the Baptist has come out of the wilderness, and he is a herald, a forerunner. He's actually written about in the Old Testament. How cool would that be if there was like Bible verse specific to you? Like that's crazy. He is a herald. You know what a forerunner for a king would do? They would, if a king was going to be traveling, the forerunner would go in advance, maybe weeks, months in advance, to the city the king was traveling to. They would rebuild the roads. Because the king and his entourage is coming into town. They would beautify the city with architecture. They would prepare where the king is going to stay, where his people are going to stay. They're going to make sure that everything is secure. They would totally remodel everything because the king was coming. That's what a forerunner would do. That's what the herald would do. They would announce the king's coming. And John the Baptist is that herald for the king. And he has come, but he's not concerned about city streets. And he's not concerned about architecture. John the Baptist is sent by God to prepare the human heart for the king. And the condition of that heart must be repentance. So John comes out of the wilderness and he's baptizing people to repentance. People have to go out in the wilderness to find him. And he's calling them out. And whenever they say, John, what should we do? He baptizes them and he says, you need to change your lifestyle. Your lifestyle needs to align with the turning that you did from your selfishness and your greed and your lust and your pride to honoring God and honoring people. And it was John the Baptist who would spot Jesus and point him out of the crowd and say, there he is the Lamb of God who's coming to take sins away. Jesus comes down to the, into the water and says, John, you've got to baptize me. And John's like, what? How can I baptize? I'm not even worthy to untie your shoestrings. How can I baptize you? And that's what we're going to pick up in the story. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he came up from the water and something big happened. Something public happened. Something undeniable happened. He came up from the water and the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove And coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You have the descending of the Holy Spirit and you have a declaration of the identity of Jesus Christ. This is intentional. This is building on Old Testament themes of the Messiah. God is quoting God here. Check this out Psalm 2 7. This is God speaking to the Messiah. He says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Isaiah 42 1. Behold, my servant, talking about this coming Messiah whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice for the nations. Jesus' baptism was not a whim. It was foretold. And Jesus is standing here. The heavens are open. And God says, this is my beloved son, according to Isaiah, according to Psalms. I'm pleased with them. My anointing, my spirit will come on him. Now, over and over again, over the past three weeks, we keep pointing to how Jesus fills the role of King David. And then we look past David to one greater coming, that Jesus supersedes David, that he's greater than David. And that's happening here too. Check this out. There's two things I want you to spot. David is a little boy, a shepherd, out in the fields. And King Saul has failed. He's become selfish and arrogant and sinned against God. And God speaks to Samuel and says, Samuel, I'm taking my anointing from Saul, and I'm going to give it to another. I want you to go to the house of Jesse and anoint the next king. So Samuel, in obedience, shows up at the house of Jesse. And you, you might know the story. He goes through each of the sons of Jesse, and God says, not this one. Oh, yeah, he's tall, he's handsome, but it's not that one. Oh, he's intelligent, he's got it together, it's not that one. And so they call on the shepherd boy. And Samuel takes this flask of olive oil, and he pours it over the head of David. Not like dribble, not like little you know, on his forehead, they pour the flask over him so that his hair and his clothes and everything is dripping and it's representing that God's anointing is covering the life of this boy for the purpose of ruling, of kingship, of destiny. What could be greater than that kind of anointing? Is the anointing of the Son of God, where it's no longer with olive oil unto being a king of a nation. But God, in front of everyone, has made a public announcement, an anointing of God's spirit, and a declaration of his kingship with all authority in heaven and earth. God is being anointed just like David. We're supposed to think of David, but we see past David to one greater than David, who God's very spirit is on for the purpose of ruling, of kingship, and of authority. Secondly, David is recognized as the man after God's own heart. Yes? You with me? Y'all have heard that before? It's quoted back in 1 Samuel, and it's quoted in Acts. It said that David was a man after God's own heart. So again, we're looking back to David, and God makes this declaration over Jesus. What could be greater than God saying that you're a woman or a man after God's own heart? Is that God speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son. I'm so pleased with him. And so Jesus is a type of David and yet greater than David. And then the story changes, and yet both of those themes, that anointing of the Spirit is going to be picked up immediately because we're supposed to connect these stories. Are you ready? Matthew 4, verse 1 through 3. Then Jesus, remember the Spirit just now descended Jesus was led up by that spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If, if you are the Son of God, you see both happening here the spiritual anointing and the declaration of God. The spiritual anointing leads them into the wilderness, and Satan is challenging what God just said. If you are the Son of God from the baptism, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Before we go any further, the word tempter for Satan, the devil, the deceiver, is only used one time in all four Gospels, and it's right there. Do you know why? The Word of God is so intricately woven together. To teach us something. Because this is a direct reference, making a callback to Genesis chapter 3, where it all went down. And the tempter was the serpent, more crafty than any other animal, who tempted Eve, who tempted Adam. This is an intentional callback that the ancient foe against humanity. The evil, wicked one who tipped the first domino of our sin and death. Where we would be cursed. That tempter is in front of Jesus right now. He has come personally to do a spiritual battle. With the one who is just declared son of God. This is a showdown between the ancient foe and the enemy of mankind, and the enemy of God himself, and the king of all creation. And that's where we pick up the story. Isn't that cool? The tempter comes to him. If you are the son of God, command these stones. If. He challenges him. And it's, I don't have time to get into this, but it's so cool. It's a throwback to Moses and 40 days in the wilderness, represents the 40 years in the wilderness, and Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. That man doesn't live by bread. That's what they thought when they were in the wilderness. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness in Exodus, they thought they needed bread. And God gave them the law. He gave them the word. Man doesn't live by bread alone, by every word of the Lord. And then Satan comes and tempts them again, and he takes them up on top of the, the pinnacle of the temple and says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself off. Show everybody that God's going to catch you. Show everybody that God's not going to let you get hurt. Jesus says, you don't tempt the Lord your God if you're the Son of God. And this is where I want to focus on Jesus' kingship, and it's the third temptation in Matthew. Let that ring in your ear, if, if you're the Son of God, if you have all authority, if you are the Creator, Then, let me show you all the kingdoms of the world, all the authorities of the world, all rulerships across all the nations. I will give them to you if you'll just bow to me. Do you realize what Satan is asking of Jesus? He is asking for God in flesh, holding all authority on heaven and earth as the Son of God. To abdicate his throne, to pass his authority to Satan himself. That is a huge, huge challenge. Why? Simply because, I'll tell you why. Because the coronation of Jesus' kingship will be the cross. It will be through blood. The crown on his head will be twisted thorns. The journey to his throne is marked with blood and agony. And he'll hang on the cross under the very wrath of God for us. And Satan is saying, I will give you all the dominion. I'll give you all these thrones, all these earthly kingdoms. If only you'll bow to me. You can skip the hard part. Here's the fast track. And Satan is offering something to Jesus that Satan doesn't even own. Check it out. This is Psalm 2, 6 through 8. This is the the future Messiah is is speaking. It says, The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. Jesus already had all authority. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. Jesus already has all authority. And so Jesus responds in Matthew 4, 10 through 11. And he says, be gone, Satan. For it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the devil left. There's a victory here that's enormous. I wish we had time to talk about it. But Jesus is the new Adam, where that last Adam, when he faced the tempter, cursed all of mankind. This is Romans. The new Adam, Jesus, faces the same tempter and is obedient. Jesus is the new Adam that through one man's sin came into the world, and through this man, sin is defeated. Oh, what a God we serve. This is also that Jesus can identify with every one of us of what it is to be tempted in every way. We do, not, do we not have a high priest that has been tempted in every way that can relate to us? That's Hebrews. And it's because of this battle, this spiritual meeting, this face-off between the king of the universe and the one who has since the beginning wanted to be king of the universe. And so Jesus comes into his role of king because of his anointing, and because of his authority being challenged and his authority being retained. From that time, Matthew 4:17, Jesus began to preach saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is no longer the forerunner that says the kingdom is, is here. It is now the king himself that's saying. The kingdom is here. I am here. It's not near. It's now. The king himself. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is here. But that kingdom is conditional. It is for those who come with repentant hearts. Repentance is the heart condition we must have to enter the kingdom. This is how Jesus opened his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 2 through 3. And Jesus opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. The humble, the repentant, the penitent, those who come on their face going, Lord, I'm sorry. I feel the weight of my sin. I know that I've offended a holy God. Lord, I have wronged. I have sinned. I'm not worthy of your love. I'm not worthy of your kingdom. It's to them that the kingdom of heaven belongs to. Our hearts must be repentant. 1 John 1.9, if we confess of our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What are we turning from? We're turning from our sin, from our idolatry, from our blindness, our rebellion. We're turning from spiritual death. And what what are we turning to? Our creator, our sovereign king, the lover of our souls, our everlasting life. That is who Jesus is. We need to realize that God's wrath is poured out against all unrighteousness, but God did not send Jesus to save us from himself. God sent Jesus to save us to himself. He saved us for himself. John 3, 17. God did not send Jesus to condemn the world, but that through him we might be saved. Our heavenly father, is wrathful against our sin and his heart is that we would repent and come back to him. Not that he would stiff arm us because of our sin. That is our father. Our loving, caring father who loves us so much that he would give the highest price for us. The condition of our heart to enter the kingdom of heaven must be repentance. That is the price of admission. I gave this illustration a couple Fridays ago at the school, but it means a lot to me. So maybe maybe it'll mean a lot to you too. Imagine that you have been convicted of a crime and you are on death row and it's a crime you absolutely committed. And you are waiting on the morning of your execution and you know that the time is going to come that the guards will come, they'll open your door. They'll take you by your shoulders and they will walk you down the hallway towards the door at the end of the hall. And waiting in there is the end of your life. This is where it ends. This morning. And you look at the clock and you have 15 minutes. And passing by the outside of the bars is like this fashion guru with this great, famous, expensive clothing line. And at a request, they would take off their fancy, expensive jacket and hand it to you through the bars. What a worthless rag that would be. My life's ending in 15 minutes. I don't what do I care if it's a designer jacket? Ten minutes until your execution. A land giant is walking by, and in his pocket he has the deed to this massive mileage worth of acres and at a request out of his pity he would give you that deed who cares it's worthless it's just a scrap of paper my life's ending in ten minutes five minutes is out you hear the guards with the keys and the door coming down and passing by the outside of the bars is a billionaire and at a word he could make your bank account fat. You could be you could die a millionaire. Who cares? It's worthless. There is nothing on earth that matters. The guards have come. They've opened your cell. They've taken you by the shoulders. And you're being taken down this hallway. And you can see the light at the end of the hallway in that cracked open door. And this is it. Your skin is crawling. Your heart is pounding. Because this is it, you're going to slip into darkness. And your life is over. Your influence gone. Everyone you ever loved. This is it. The end of the line. And as you're being taken down this hallway, passing by you again is the judge. And he has in his pocket the reprieve. Would you beg? Would you fall down at his feet? Would you confess that you sinned, that you did wrong, that this crime, you actually did it? Would you repent? Would you say, I'm sorry? Would you, would you promise him up and down that you're going to turn from what you did before and do something entirely different again? Would you finally lay down your pride? Would you lay down your arrogance? Would you lay down trying to be so hard Would it be worth it to fall down at the feet of the one person who holds life and death in his hands for you? And I'm telling you, the light at the end of the hallway is orange because it's not lit by a light bulb. It's lit by the very flames of hell. Those who are in Christ know that sweet taste of a yes from the judge because of the bitter taste of confessing our sins that we were wrong and that our life no longer is for us but we have turned and we are walking towards him and so now we treasure our salvation with the greatest prize because it's all that matters. Clothing doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter. Fame doesn't matter. Land doesn't matter. Followers on social media are worthless to us because we hold in our hands This very document that says you have life. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You have hope and you have peace. Nothing else matters. Would it be worth it to lay down your life, to pick up your cross, and to follow him? Because the admission into the kingdom of heaven is repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is now. Oh, believers, we have so much to treasure. And we get to walk through life with such rich contentment because there's nothing in life that would make our lives any better. If the Lord took us, then we have full peace. If the Lord should leave us, then we get to serve him with our lives. And what a joy. Oh, that you would come to the Lord in repentance. That you would give your life to him. That you would come on your face before him. Swallow your pride. Come to the judge that isn't just passing by. He chose to be here tonight. He chose to be in your life. And to be at your call at first, you would turn your heart to him. Because what he's going to hand you costs the highest price. It costs his son. What a God we serve. Recap. The kingdom of heaven is a comprehensive term showing God's complete sovereignty over everything. The heart's condition to enter the kingdom of heaven must be repentance. To repent is to turn from sin and self towards Jesus in his authority. Jesus' cosmic kingship is recognized at his baptism with the anointing of the Holy Spirit and God's declaration of his sonship. The tempter challenged Jesus to surrender that authority in disobeying God. And Jesus defeated Satan Because the king himself, Jesus Christ, now declares that the kingdom of heaven is here and all who repent. God will forgive their sin and the kingdom of heaven welcomes you. Now here's my challenge for you this week. If you haven't given your life to the Lord, oh, that you would. I beg you. I beg you, give your lives to the Lord. It's so worth serving him if there was some way that I could plead with you, oh, he's so worth it. For those that you do serve the Lord, and we know that we still struggle, that we're still being sanctified every day, I challenge you to find someone you trust and confess your sins to them. James 5:16 says, "Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. If you have a sin in your life that, Lord, I want to give this to you, but I just I keep slipping into my own sin again. talking to someone that you trust and confessing and asking them to pray for you every single day, oh the Lord will use that. The powers of a righteous person, the powers of your accountability partner. They make a difference. And oh, that you could be praying for them too. So that's my challenge to have the guts to find someone you trust and confess to them and ask them to pray for you. Heavenly Father, your word is so rich, and your kingdom is so beautiful, and the price you paid is so incomprehensible. Lord, I pray that you will move our hearts. Move our hearts to repentance. Believers and unbelievers. That we may hmm. I'll elevate. I want to give you a chance. Right now, right here in this quiet moment that we all just spend a moment in repentance with the Lord. Let's get our slates clean. Let's, let's turn our face back to him. Let's run. You know what the difference between religion and relationship is? Religion is when you messed up and you hate the idea that dad might find out. A relationship is you messed up. And so you run to dad. So I want to take a moment right now. Let's run to our father. This is a very old prayer. But it's something meaningful to me. And I, I challenge you to use it. And give it back to the Lord. Oh, merciful father. We confess that we have sinned against you. In thought, in word, and in actions in what we've done and what we've left undone. We've not loved you with our whole hearts. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have marred your image within us. Oh, Lord, we humbly repent. Lord, we humbly repent. Forgive us, Lord, that we may rightly worship you and worthily magnify your holy name. We love you, Lord, and we give you our lives. In your name we pray, amen. I'll turn this back over to my girl, Keely. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.